Thank you for subscribing to the weekly sermons of Crossfire YC. We are the Youth Church of Crossfire World Outreach Ministries located in Springfield, Oregon. This podcast is updated weekly. Most of you guys know uh, already by this point in the conference, I am Team Edward all the way. I, I, I saved this for this, I, I, I saved this quote for, the, for tonight just because I knew I was going to be showing the Twilight clip tonight. But I'm going to tell you why I'm Team Edward. You guys want to know why I'm Team Edward, not Team Jacob? Let me me tell you why. Y'all shut up now. While the dog only has one thing on his mind, Edward is concerned for her soul. Edward represents... The average male, he keeps his shirt on. Not every male has a 2384 pack, you know. He's got abs on top of abs and then abs in his back. And it's just, you know, it's just not attractive. Um, He represents the average male. He's concerned about Bella's soul. He's not going to mess with her until there's a ring on that finger. He doesn't want her to lose her soul for him. And that's why I'm Team Edward all the way. Because that dog has only got one thing on his mind. And I'm not going to tell you what that thing on his mind is. I'll just let your imagination run wild on that. But I, I showed this clip because in the world we live in, We love stories. I don't care what society you're from. I don't care where you live in the world. Everybody loves stories. I I, I found this phenomenon in in my travels. I I love doing missions trips. I, I do my best to go on a missions trip a year with the organization that I'm a part of. And I find it amazing that no matter where I go in the world, people love Telling, hearing, and interpreting stories. It's a phenomenon. No matter where you go in the world, you are going to find a movie theater. Anywhere you go in the world. I've been to, I've been to some of the worst third world countries. They don't have a mall. They don't have a shopping center. But if you were to ask a, a, a tour guide, if you were to ask a bus driver... Where is the movie theater? They can take you to it. Every society has a movie theater. No matter where you go in the world. People love hearing stories. They like reading stories and they love interpreting stories. We're no different. The success of Eclipse is not, or the success of Twilight is not because they told one story, but because they told four stories. And they're building one on top of the other. How many of you guys, if you're a nerd in this place, you'll know what I'm talking about. How many Lord of the Ring nerds are in here? Amen. Amen. I am a Lord of the Ring nerd. I'm sorry. But uh, I can't wait for The Hobbit. Guillermo del Toro. Thank you. Guillermo del Toro will be directing that. I'm super excited about that. We love stories. 
stories represent who we are. Stories represent why is it that when you, you know, maybe girls are more, you know, they're more in tune with this. But when I ask my wife how her day went, why can't she just be like me and just say, "Good." We got to sit down and we got to conversate. I have to have, you know, a secretary taking notes of what she's saying. Because then she's going to ask me, what do you think about that? And if I wasn't paying attention, that's it. I'm in trouble. I don't listen. Why is it that when you tell your story, you just can't say, oh, you know, uh, I didn't know Jesus, but now I do. Why is it that we got to go into this in-depth conversation? We got to go in this. I just spent time with, uh, with your pastor, Pastor Aaron. And I was deeply moved by his personal story. I mean, even to the point, I'm crying in Applebee's. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, God, I don't have it as bad as you, but my God. No, I'm kidding. He's got a great life. But we got to tell people in stories what's going on. And I want to share something with you. That people talk about the Bible in two ways. Throw that first slide up. People talk about the Bible in two ways. Number one, people refer to the Bible as a manual, a a guide on how to live your life. You you read you know um, you know if if you got troubles you go to the Bible. If you got problems you go to the Bible. I remember growing up in you know when when things were going on in my life, people would always tell me, "Oh, Doug, you need to get in your Bible." But I'm like, it's so boring. Thank God for the message. Anybody message fans out here? Thank God, because this is no longer boring. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. You recorded that? We could just edit that out. Now, but they would always tell me to go to the Bible, and I didn't know how to go to the Bible. You know, even now that I'm, I'm, you know, now that I've been saved since I was 18, when people tell me to go to the Bible, you know, I already know the verses. Why do I have to go to the Word of God? I already know the verses. I've been to the, I've been to the colleges. I've, I've studied scripture. I've done everything I can. Why is it that I still can't find the help that I'm looking for? Because let me tell you something. When you make the Bible nothing more than a manual, a guide on how to live your life, you make it all about you. When you just treat the Bible as this kind of like self-help book, you know, Proverbs is big on this. You know, if you read the book of Proverbs, it almost sounds like a self-help book. Do this and do this and do this and that'll happen. Do this and don't do this and that'll happen. When you take the Bible like a manual, like a, like a guidebook, you make it all about you. But let me tell you what the Bible really is. The Bible is a universal story. It's a universal story. There is one plot line. There is one plot line. It's all about Jesus Christ. There's one plot. The whole entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, 66 books... It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about how God is going to restore us to himself. This is amazing, folks. Let me tell you why. 
Because I'm not this perfect person. I make mistakes all the time. And to actually have the word of God tell me that God is hunting me. God is stalking me. God is a stalker. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. God is a crazy psycho stalker. The Bible says that God stands at our door and he knocks. You guys ever had people that show up at your house and your parents are like, nobody move. Maybe you got a crazy in-law that just randomly shows up and wants to stalk talking to you about Jesus. And you already go to church and your family's saved, but somehow, you, since you don't go to their church, I, maybe I'm preaching to myself because I, I had family members like that. But all of a sudden, you're like, no one's home. Turn out all the lights. You know, somebody hiccups and it's like, they know we're here. Jesus is a crazy stalker. He says, I stand at your door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and lets me in, I'm going to come on in. You know what I love about that scripture is this. God is not, he, he's a gentleman. He's God. He could totally like kick open your door and just be like, I'm God. Feed me. You know? But he doesn't. He stands at our door and he just continually knocks. The story of the Bible is how God is going to restore us to himself. Now catch that. He's going to restore us to himself. The Bible says that God does not want us to be able to restore ourselves to him. He goes, because then we'll just go around bragging. Look what I can do. Look, look what I can do. You know, we, we go around just telling everybody what we can do. Jesus says, I'm going to restore you to me so that all you can ever tell people is look how great my God is. I'm a failure. I make mistakes. I've made my biggest mistakes being saved. But God still is hunting me. We are invited into the story of the Bible. We are invited into the story of the Bible. The plot of the story is not how God came to earth. I want you to understand this. The story of the Bible is not how God came to earth so we can find him. The plot of God's story is how he came to earth to find you. That is the plot of the story right there. How God came to earth, not so that we can find him, because the Bible says in the, in the book of Proverbs that our minds want nothing to do with God. That inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, we absolutely want nothing to do with God. The plot of the story of the Bible is how God came to earth to find you. And guess what? Jesus is the hero of our story. Jesus is the hero of our story. The last book of the Old Testament, the very last chapter, speaks about how God is going to bring total destruction on the earth, complete and utter annihilation of the earth. Basically, it's almost like God is throwing his hands up. I give up. 
I give up. There's going to be those that are going to follow me and I'll bless them. And then there's a whole part of the earth that's not going to. And then bam, 400 years of complete and utter silence. Complete silence from God for 400 years. Some theologians call it the dark period. They say where God was not speaking for 400 years. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, we have Matthew chapter 1, the birth of Jesus Christ. After 400 years of silence, God sends a star. God sends a star over Bethlehem. Jesus Christ enters the scene. And at that moment, he becomes our hero in the story. Not Edward, not Jacob. Jesus becomes the hero of our story. The Bible says that we are literally the image of God. Now, when you really study this out, you find out that what it means when God says that you are my image. When you are my image, what it basically means is that God took a piece of himself. God took a piece of himself and he formed you. We're a chip off the old block. That's where we get that term. We're a chip off the old block of God. But through sin, through mistakes, through the, through the mistakes of Adam and Eve, when I get to heaven, I'm going to punch Adam. I, I'm not going to tell you where I'm going to punch him. But I'm going to punch Adam for what he did. Because that was messed up. I mean, you can't blame him. He's got a hot naked wife, you know, with an apple. That just, that spells doom right there. That's just trouble. She's all, eat. He's like, no. And she's all, bam. Yes, you are. <laughs> you know, okay, I'll eat, you know. Through sin, we have distorted the view of God. The Bible says that we are born into sin. We didn't come into realization of sin. We were born into sin. We can't make ourselves perfect. G, Pastor G, he talked about the law. The book of Hebrews says that God put the law in front of us so that we are guaranteed to need a Savior. The Bible says that God wrote these, uh, these crazy rules. I think God was just up in heaven and was just like, hey, this will be cool. Let's see if they'll do this. Oh, this will be awesome, man. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And Hebrews says that God made these laws so impossible to keep to make sure that everyone needs a Savior. That everybody needs a hero in their story. Everybody needs a champion. Through sin, we have distorted this view of God. We are no longer, you know, if you're living a life of sin, you are not the image of God. You are the image of what you want. You are the image of about you. You are the image of yourself. The best way to illustrate this is when my wife was, was a young girl. She got casted to, into the, to play in Adam's Family Values, the part two. Because my wife, she looks like a neo-Nazi. You know, she's got blonde hair and blue eyes. White skin. She, she, looks, she, looks, like a, uh, she looks like a German kid. 
all my kids are blonde hair and blue eyed. I'm like, I look half Mexican. <laughs> but it was amazing. You know, I, I, I just, you know, I was recently going through my films and, you know, my son, I wanted to expose him to the Adams family because it was a film that I grew up on. And what was amazing is when I put in this film, my wife, she come, you know, she hears the music. She comes bursting in. She's like, oh my God, is my scene up yet? And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. So we're like fast forwarding because we want to show Dougie where mommy is. And we're fast forwarding this scene. She's like, it's in this scene. So we're like, we're fast forwarding. Stop, stop, okay, right there, right there, go back, go back. And we're watching. And then the scene ends and I'm like, where are you? I'm like, have you been lying to me all these years? She's like, no, no, I'm in there. Rewind it. So we're rewinding. Stop, stop, stop. Okay. There I am. Did you see me? And I was like, no, no. So we're like trying to pause it and we're moving it and still and we're just like. And then finally, it's the back of her head. It's the back of her head. And we're all, Dougie, there's mommy. Your mom's hot for a 10-year-old. I can say that because I'm married to her now. My wife was hot as a 10-year-old. I don't know. That's kind of weird, but I'm married to her now, so she's hot, you know? And there we got it on still. And it's like barely the side of her face, but you could tell. And it dawned on me one day. Now, I'm going to get a little nerdy with you, and if you guys go to school, you guys will know this. But movies are made at 29... Films are made at 29.97 frames a second. So let's just round up. 30 frames a second. Unless you're the film 300 and they filmed it at like 2,000 frames a second for all those still ab moves. You know, so it looks real. But a typical movie is made at 30 frames a second. Literally, when we had that movie on still, my wife was literally in that for one frame. For one frame. Now think about it. If that movie is an hour and a half long, how many frames a second is happening in that movie? Millions. Millions of an hour and a half film. And she was in that film for one frame. Not even a second. She was in that film for one frame. Because as soon as you click the next button, she's gone. You move it back, she's there. Move it forward, she's gone. One frame. And then it dawned on me, I'm sitting on my couch, and I just felt like God was telling me, because at this point in my life, I was doing this. God was telling me, look, Doug, this is how you make your life all about you. Instead of enjoying this movie, I lost interest in it, because we spent an hour trying to find that one frame. I lost interest in it. I gave up and we ended up watching Die Hard or something crazy. I ended up losing interest. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that our life is nothing but a vapor in the scope of God. Our life, basically what the Bible is saying is you're here one moment, you're gone the next. You're here for one frame, you're gone the next frame. 
We're here one moment and we're gone the next. And yet, us little peons of human effluence, we make this life all about us. We take our one little frame, our one little shot of glory, and we turn it inwardly and make it about us. We'll rewrite. You know, it's funny. I I hear people, they want to rewrite their script. And I'm just like, you're in it for a single frame in God's history. In God's movie, you're you're, you're in this one frame. And you want to rewrite God's entire script based off of one frame? But that's how we make it about us. This is what we do with this life. We have such a small part, but yet a big role. I want you to understand this. Son of a nutcracker. Let's just deal with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get passed out in the spirit here in a second. Here we go. It's my clothes, I think. I think it's jiggling the antenna. Here we go. I want you to understand, I'm not trying to say that you need to live your life small. Yes, in the universal scope of things, we have a small part, but a big role. We have a small part, but but a huge role. I was just, you know, I think it was Monday night, we were talking about... uh, um, We're talking about Joe Pesci and the Lethal Weapon movies. And how, you know, he just shows up on the scene. He's got such a small part, but yet he's a big role of that movie. And we were talking when Mel Gibson made The Passion of the Christ, that Joe Pesci should have been in it. Somehow, some way, he should have been there. Because that's Mel Gibson. You can't have Mel Gibson without Danny Glover and Joe Pesci. They should have found a way to insert him in that. He has such a small part, but a big role. Let me tell you something. I'm not trying to compare your life to Joe Pesci, please. Don't think that. But what I'm trying to say is that God, we may have such a small part. Our life may be nothing but a vapor to God, but yet we have the biggest role because of the lives that we are going to impact. Because you've got to understand, even though we may be one frame in God's eternal movie, but yet we're going to impact another life that's going to have another frame. And that life is going to impact another life that has another frame. Let me illustrate this. Billy Graham one day was asked, just very recently when his, when his biography came out, a Christian interviewer asked him, what is it going to be like, Billy, when you get to heaven and the masses, thousands upon thousands of people are going to be there saying, if not for you, Billy, I wouldn't be here with Jesus. They were asking him, what what are you going to say to that? What would you say to that? And he goes, you know what? He goes, that praise is not going to come to me. He goes, it's going to come to an old lady who sat on a bench for four years at a college and told me every week, you should come to church with me. He was already saved, but he kind of wanted to live this like background life. Pursue his, pursue his, you know, his education and do something with that. But this little old lady constantly and finally, you know, after four years of seeing her feed birds and him and her asking him to come, 
She says, oh, we're, we got this youth revival happening. Give it up for youth revivals. I don't know why, but some of the greatest things come out of youth revivals. We got this youth revival and you should go. And he's like, man, she's going to die soon. I better go to this. He went and his life had never been the same. He was changed literally from the inside out. It was at that moment he made a decision. I'm living my life for Jesus Christ. I'm living my life pursuing and chasing him, whatever he has for me. And the rest is history. He says, not only will Jesus get the praise, but that old lady, that's who they're going to run to. That's who they're going to run to. Because she never quit. She never gave up on me. And therefore, everybody that was ever impacted by his ministry started right there. That was the turning point. That was the turning point. It wasn't Billy Graham's dedication to God, his devotion. It was a little old lady who says this. There was something I prayed all the time for him, that he would be greater than I. Let me tell you something. This is a, this is a little old lady who didn't make her story about herself. She prayed, make him greater than I. Let me tell you something. How many people can honestly pray that for somebody else? God, don't make me great. Make them greater than I could ever be. Make them greater than I could ever be. This revelation happened to me when I was in the Philippines. I was in the Philippines and I was at this church. And I saw this really old, nasty poster promoting me being there. And what's weird is it didn't say from Fresno. It said from San Francisco. I'm like, I'm not from San Francisco. And when the pastor told me, he goes, you know, he goes, we didn't change this. He goes, because there was another guy with your same exact name who came here almost 30 years ago. And I got saved at that meeting. I got saved at that meeting and I became a pastor five years later. And now he's pastoring one of the largest churches in the Philippines. He, he bought out an entire mall. Thousands upon thousands of people come to his services on Sunday morning in a mall. And as I'm looking at this poster, that poster looks 30 years old. And I'm getting closer and I'm getting closer and I see coming to minister evangelist Orville Douglas McKinnis Jr. from San Francisco, California. And it just dawned on me, that was my dad. 30 years ago, my dad was in the Philippines. He was a missionary. He was in the Philippines. He preached at a meeting and that guy got saved. And he says that I was so radical about my faith. I wanted to remember it. He goes, I stole the poster. And I rolled it up and I took it home with me. And he goes, and 30 years later, his son is here ministering the gospel to more people. Let me tell you something. This is God's story. One life impacting another and another and another. And it's just this residual process. And I totally believe that 30 years from that event, my son will be there one day ministering. If this guy's alive, ministering at his church. 
It's one life impacting another. You see, we want to write the script and make it all about us. But Jesus wants to fix the script back to a love story. Let me tell you something. The Bible is the greatest love story you will ever hear on the planet. It knocks twilight out of the picture. You can't get any better than this. Edward cannot die for somebody. He cannot die for somebody. Jesus Christ died for us. And more importantly, he rose again for us. You got to understand the importance of this. When the Bible says that he died and rose again, that that wasn't a combined package, folks. That wasn't a two for one deal here. What Jesus suffered on the cross, I I love what Pastor G came up here during worship. That was Pastor G, right? Did you come up here during worship? Okay. Somebody came up here and talked about Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And I, I I I was on the couch and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. What Jesus suffered on the cross, guys, he could have went, the Bible says that he ascended into heaven. And it just dawns on me one day. Why in the world didn't he just stay there? If I, the Bible says that heaven is the greatest experience you will ever have. It's, it's what we're living for. It's what God created us for. The Bible says that Jesus ascended into heaven. But then he rose again on the third day. To show the world that like I did, you will do. So that the same power, listen to this. So that the same power that raised him from the dead, he now deposits inside of you. He did this, guys, so that the same power that he possessed now lives in each one of us. Now lives in each one of us. You guys have a power beyond your own beyond anything you could possibly imagine to literally change the world. One individual making an impact and changing the world. It's the greatest love story you will ever hear. It's a love story where we get the opportunity. We are invited. Now, this blows my mind. We are invited to reflect God. Did you catch that? God invites you into this story so that you, with all your mistakes, with all your failings, can reflect God. When we reflect, when we reflect God back to God, that's called worship. When we say how, when when our hearts, that's why Jesus told a woman at the well that one day people are going to worship in spirit and in truth, not out of procedure, not out of ritual, not because that's what good Christians do. But when you worship me because of all that I am, when you reflect God back to God, that's called worship. When you reflect God to one another, that's called community. When you reflect God to a lost world, that's called a mission. Every story has a mission. My wife told me this one time because she's an English major. She told me that every story has to have a mission. Every story has to have 
a mission. The Bible, let me tell you something. The Bible is all about a mission. The Bible is all about a mission. That God came, he sent his son to bring the world back into the love story. The word mission, I looked this up. The word mission means sent or to send. It means sent or or sending or to be sent. We are created in the image of God. So that means that there is something inside of us that is calling us to the mission. To fix the love story that this world has messed up. That sin has messed up. There is something that is calling us. Why is it that when we're in a worship service and we just start crying out of nowhere, have you ever been in your car or just in your room and out of nowhere you just start crying? You don't know why. You're hearing a song. I got a radio station in Fresno. They play the same stinking songs every hour. I'm like, that's it? That's all the Christian world has to offer? Because it's the same songs. I could almost tell you what song is going to play next. Because they keep playing the same songs over and over again. But then there are those moments where I'll be driving and my mind will be on God. And all of a sudden, I'll hear how much God loves us. How much he sent us to the world. How much he wants us to change people's lives. And all of a sudden, I begin to weep. Because there are moments in our life where it becomes all about us. Let me tell you something. You don't just do worship. You don't do community. You don't do saving. You don't do law. Let me tell you something. These are things that we are. These are things that we are. We don't do worship. We are worship. Let me tell you something. If you keep living a life that says, you know, I just do worship and I, I do outreaching and I do this and I do that. all you're, Basically what you're saying is this is all about me here. And I pick and choose when I do these things. I pick and choose when when I outreach. I pick and choose when I'm going to worship God. I pick and choose all this stuff. Let me tell you something. When you live a life that says, I am worship, it happens all the time. When you say, I am a soul winner, it happens all the time. When you begin to live this kind of lifestyle, you do other things like work and play. Those are things that you do. The problem is, is that some of these things is what defines us. Some of us are defined by our education. Some of us are defined by our leisure activities. Some of us are defined by our rituals and our practices. Some of us are defined by our work. And we've made this about us where all of a sudden God starts getting smaller and smaller. I'm all about my boyfriend. God gets smaller and smaller. I'm all about my girlfriend. God gets smaller and smaller. I'm all about my future. I'm all about this. I'm all about that. God is getting smaller and smaller. Remember, God is a gentleman. He's not going to stay anywhere that he's not welcomed. He's not going to stay anywhere. He's not welcomed. One time I was with a young man and we were, uh, we accidentally ran into some, some pastors and we got talking and I, 
I put my hand on his back and I was like, this guy right here, this is a man of God. And he had this like shocked look on his face. We went into our movie and we were sitting down and he goes, he goes, Pastor Doug, uh, why did you call me that? I go, because that's what you are. He goes, you don't, you don't know what I do. I go, it doesn't matter. You see, when you got saved, you got sent. When you got saved, a piece of Jesus got inside of you and now you're on a mission. You are a man of God. You're not a, you're not a field worker. You're not a, you're not a this, you're not a that. You are a man of God and you need to start living like it because when you live like it, all of a sudden God is the only thing that's on your mind. God is the only thing that you want in this life. Being all about God is not saying you are. I love this. You know, there's this worship song that we sing in our church. It goes, it's all about you. You got to understand, my Sunday morning service is very reserved. They sing old school, like, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Israel Hooten songs. I want some hill song. I want some, I want, I want some, uh, I want some Generation Unleashed. I, I want some Jesus culture. I want songs like that because you can just, I mean, they're like sweating passion. They're not just up there sweating. They are sweating passion. And it's nasty. I've actually been on backstage at Generation Unleashed and it's nasty. They come off smelly. They come off stinky. A friend of mine, he, you know, he lives next door to the, the pastor of Generation Unleashed, the ex-pastor of Generation Unleashed. And, you know, he, he was like, hey, you got to come backstage. It's the, it's the best place. So we were back there worshiping. And then all of a sudden you just, the heck is that? That stinketh. Fix thateth. You start speaking in King James tongues. Because there is something wrong with thateth. You guys need to get saved. Because that is just nasty. But look at where was I? Israel, I, it's all about you. You know, and they, they sing that, and it's really great, and it's awesome. The crowd gets hyped, and I'm hyped because the crowd is hyped. And, and, and one day, I, 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 as we were singing this song, it just dawned on me, am I just saying this? Or does every aspect of my life demonstrate that? You see, it's easy to give a piece of yourself away. It's easy to say, you know what? I'm going to devote this to God, and I know I'll devote that to God. And it gets easy to worship like that, and we think that we're okay with God. But God wants it all. He doesn't want this, and He doesn't want that. He wants it all or nothing at all. He wants every part of us, every decision. Being all about God is not saying you are, but is actually becoming Him. God is in a process of turning you into Him. Of taking you and turning you into Him. A turning point, if you want to say. We're all at different points. Some of us have, been, some of us have not yet been invited to the love story. You don't know the story. Who are the heroes and who are the villains? We're going to invite you tonight. To join this love story. Some of us know that we are invited. Listen to this. Some of us know that we are invited to God's love story, but yet we are confused and don't feel invited 
And that, let me tell you something. That's because you're making the story about you. How do you like inviting someone over to your house and all of a sudden they're like, uh, this place is thrashed. If I'm going to hang with you, fix it. I'll be back in an hour. Fix your place. You invited them over for lunch and they don't like what you cooked. You invited them to hang out and they're like, uh, I do not want to do this. I literally had a kid one time. I was hanging out with him and I was like, you know, you know, uh, I, I, me and my wife, we went and bought some food and he was like, I don't like that. I don't put that in my body. And I thought he was joking, but he was dead serious. That was the last time he ever came to my house. I was like, dude, you, if I bought it, you're going to eat it. Trust me. Nah, I didn't say that. I went out and bought him what he wanted because that's what a pastor does. Check this out. You feel like you're not invited. You're confused. Does God love me? Is he there for me? You've made the story about yourself. Let me say, being a Christian is being saved by God's mission. This dawned on me one day. I, I was in a history, I was in a history lecture. And this guy was going through, if you don't know who she is, or you should know, um, Harriet Tubman. And he laid out this map, huge map on the screen. I'll never forget. I mean, it was just massive. Took up a whole wall. And he laid out her journey. She, she escaped from a slave house. And she created, she was, they were literally, there were times where she was in the dust, she was in the dirt, she was in the mud and in the rain, hiding. There were times where she was running through forests and, and, and barefooted and just, she, she plotted this path. And finally, when she gets to freedom, there was a turning point. She could have said, you know what, I'm free. Forget it. I'm, I'm out of here. This is about me. I got free. I'm the one that plotted the path. I'm the one that put myself in danger. I want to continue my life. But he says that she found freedom, rested for three days, and she took the same path back to free others. She took the same path back to free others. Let me tell you something. When God saved you, he didn't just save you. He looks into you and sees the potential of others. When he looks at you, he sees the impact you can make in your family. He sees the impact you can make in your friends. He didn't just save you. He saved thousands. He didn't just reach out to you. He's reaching out to thousands. The problem is, is are we displaying, are we reflecting that image of God? You have a tremendous weight on you to reach people. You have a tremendous, there should be a tremendous burden in your heart. And if not, there will be tonight. John 17 says this, 
As you have sent me into this world, I send them. Jesus is all about a mission. As he was sent into this world, he's saying, I send you back into it. This is what blows me away. At this conference, somebody said, a conference that I attended, somebody said this, and I just felt it was perfect. This is the sermon that I prepared for Turning Point. Um, for, for your guys's, for your guys's uh, uh, theme here, theme here. Somebody said this, God saves us from the world. The ugliness of this world, God saves us from it. And then he says, I'm sending you back into it. He saves you from all the horror, from all the trouble, from all the trials. He saves us from it only to tell us now, turn around and go back. I, you're going to be my spiritual Harriet Tubman. Why do I have to go through abuse? Why did I have to go through pain? Why did I have to go this? Because you plotted the path. And now you're going to go back and you're going to save people who got the same afflictions as you do, who got the same problems, the same issues as you do. And you're going to bring them to Jesus Christ. You're going to take how, how God got you from this point to this point, our reference point to our turning point, and then you're going to save people. You're going to bring them to Jesus Christ. If we follow Jesus, we are sent on a mission to fix the love story. If we don't, then that is where we find... Let me tell you something. If you are not chasing people, when people come to me and they're just like, Pastor, I'm so depressed. I'm so bummed. I don't know if I can keep serving God. That's like getting the greatest Christmas present and saying, uh, I want something else. I, I don't know if I can work for the church anymore. I'm just, I'm so tired. I hate this word. Don't ever use this word to your pastor because it just makes him want to commit suicide. I'm spread too thin. You want to you do my job for a month? Talk about spread too thin. spread to man. I don't know if I can. Joshua said this. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It's just man. Any, are there any men in this place? I don't know. Any men? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Danny, you got that metrosexual checklist up? We'll, we'll fix that right now. I, let me tell you something. I am not the most burliest man. I'm just not. I'll admit that. But I am a man. There are times where I'm just, wife, do it. Please. I'm just like, get in the car, you know. Joshua said this, it's great. I, I just picture he's just, he's 90 years old, but he's still built like a tank. He's got a chest. It's a little saggy, but he's still there. And it's just huge. He's got depends on. But just with him, it just looks like a gladiator. You know, just... He says this. As he's commissioning Israel to take and to maintain the promised land, he says this. I am still as strong as I was in the days of Moses. 
God's strength has never failed me. I've never quit. I've never given up. And I'm still as strong as the days of Moses. He was like 30 years old in the days of Moses. He was like Jacob in the days of Moses. And now he's 90 years old. And he says, I'm still as strong. I'm still as capable. If you're feeling like this, depressed, frustrated, and confused, I tell people, you know what? I'm going to give you the solution right now. Well, what is it? Stop making this about yourself. Go out and save somebody. Give somebody a call. And it's always amazing. They come back and they're like, I feel so much better. Duh. You're doing what God told you to do. That's when we get confused. That's when we get messed up. That's when sin starts creeping in. Don't get me wrong. We're still going to make mistakes doing God's will. But that's when things begin happening is when we start setting that aside and making this about us. The pastor didn't talk to me today. I don't know if he likes me. The dude farted. And instead of offending your nostrils, he fled. He didn't want to leave a bad taste in your mouth while he was preaching. Or maybe he's just super busy. Forgive us as ministers if we don't jump to your your needs. Listen, please forgive us. Our heart is with you. Our heart wants to be there. And But there are other needs, maybe pressing needs. We want to be there. I, I, I know because you've got ministers that love you because I hear the stories and I hear what they've gone through. And that can only happen through love. Forgive us. If we don't jump, but I want you to know this, our heart goes with you always. Wherever you are, whatever you go through, you can call, you can text, you can Twitter, you can Facebook. And we'll be there praying for you, encouraging you. Sometimes we could could be there in your presence. Sometimes we could be there at that moment. But a lot of times we can't. If you're feeling this way, get out and make impact. Start living the story God wanted you to live. If you're anything like me, I like to read the last couple chapters of a book. Anybody know? My wife, she reads the whole book. I like to appear smarter and blow the ending for her. So I read like the last four chapters. I'm a little computer savvy and I I got the last Harry Potter book before it even came out on the shelves. And uh, I, I already knew the ending. She was reading it. She's on chapter one. I was like, man, I read the last four chapters. And then you sound wicked smart. And then finally my wife caught on. Instead of asking me how the story ends, she got smarter and how does the story begin and what's the middle? And all of a sudden I'm like, ooh. I'm going to go get the cliff notes. (laughs) Harry Potter for dummies, you know? I like to read the last four chapters of the book. Listen to me. There are four parts to the Bible. I want to get through this really quick. There are four parts to the Bible. There's creation, the fall of man, redemption, and restoration. When I first started reading the Bible, I didn't start in Genesis. I started in Revelations because I like death and destruction and mayhem. Action is what I like. You guys know that Jesus is coming back 
with a fatty tat on his leg? When anybody's like, I'm against tattoos, I'm like, Jesus has one. He's actually getting it done right now. Revelation says that when Jesus comes back, he's going to have a tattoo running from his hip down to his calf. That's going to say King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I thought about this one time. I'm like, God, why your calf? Now why get a sleeve or something? You know, why not get it like, you know, like Tupac and on your back, you know, or, you know, something. Get West Coast. Why on your leg? And one day it just dawned on me. We got too many Christians that feel like they can look Jesus Christ face to face. They feel like I'm good enough. I'm a good Christian. I go to church that they can stand toe to toe and look Jesus in the face. Jesus put it there because the Bible says that every knee is going to bow to him. And they're going to see that tat running down his leg saying, I'm the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Stand next to that. Can you do that? I don't know what that had to do. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Be blessed. I read the end, I read the end of Revelations. The end of Revelations, we find out that God makes everything whole. No more tears. No more sin to separate our relationship with God. Scripture tells us that our mission is to see the kingdom of heaven happening on the earth. That's what Jesus says in his prayer when his disciples were like, I don't know how to pray. Tell us how to pray. And Jesus says, pray this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Basically what Jesus was telling his disciples, whatever's going on up there needs to be happening down here. That worship that's happening up there needs to be happening down here. That community that's happening up there needs to be happening down here. That soul winning, that loss, that loss finding needs to be happening down here. Whatever's going on up there needs to happen down here. That is your mission. That is your commission. Revelations 21.2 says this. This is how God sees it. I saw holy Jerusalem... New, created, descending, resplendent out of heaven. As ready for God, look at this, as a bride for her husband. God is fixing the love story right here. Let me tell you something. God is calling you to your city. You guys ready for this? God's calling you to your city. But I want you to understand something. A city is not necessarily a city. It could be. The definition of a city is this. Let me read it to you. It's powerful. Definition of a city is... Mm-hmm. Hold on. Bear with me. I'm skipping past a lot of notes here. Definition of a city is... I'll just go off my memory. Definition of a city is where there is a dense population of people compared to one. So your city could be your family. Your city could be your friends. Your city can be your school. Your city could be your city. God is calling you to be a city in a city. God is calling you to be a city in a city. I want to read you this passage of Scripture. It's just when I, when I, when, when just as they were playing and worshiping, this scripture came to mind. And it's found in Matthew 5, 14. Jesus says this, 
You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. Jesus is saying, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors of the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We are going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. I love that. Jesus is saying, I am putting you on a light stand. You're not going to put yourself there. I'm going to position you in your city. I'm going to position you. I'm going to place you. Now that you've been put here on this hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt God. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Jesus wants to put you and place you and position you in your city. Isaiah 26.1 says this. At that time, this song will be sung in the country of Judah. We have a strong city, salvation city, built and fortified with salvation. Throw wide the gates so good and true people can enter. People with their minds set on you. You keep completely whole, steady on their feet because they keep at it and don't quit. Depend on God and keep at it because in the Lord God, you have a sure thing. Those who lived high and mighty, he knocked off their high horse. He used the city belt on the hill as to fill the marshes. All the exploited, exploited and outcast peoples build their lives on the reclaimed Land. What this scripture is saying is this two cities, a city of man and a city of God, inhabiting the same place. You see, city of man says, you know, in history, when people wanted to get something done, they moved into the city. If they wanted wealth, they moved into the city. If they wanted to open up a business, they moved into the city. There are people who are moving into the cities. Let me tell you something. It became all about them. And all of a sudden, they didn't notice that they were poor and needy people. They were only focused on their business. They were only focused on what they can get out of life. God says, this high and mighty city... I brought it down. I brought down the city of man so that the city of God can shine. A city of man is all about us. Let me tell you something. It's easy to get with your friends. Anybody got any friends that you get around and all of a sudden it's all about them? They're just like, oh, am God. You will not believe this. (laughs) Never once do they ever ask you about how you're doing, about how you're going, and what's, what's up with you. It's all about them. In that city, they make it all about themselves, and they forget that everybody else has a need. Let me ask you a question. Who are you in the city? Do you use the city for yourself? 
is it all about you? I brought this, this young man is going to be up here. Where's the hair cutter lady? Go ahead. Just start doing your thing. Check this out. He's going to cut his hair up here. He's going to shave it all off. And that's a head of hair. I want, you know, that, that is a massive head of hair. Hopefully his mom doesn't kill me. I'll be gone on Thursday, Friday, you know, so hopefully she has no contact with me whatsoever. When she sees him, oh my God, I can't believe they did this at camp. They shaved his head. Now check this out. He's doing this because this is the boring part of my sermon. I have no illustrations. As I was looking through my sermon, I'm like, this is the boring part. I got no funny jokes here. I was trying to think of something. I couldn't think of anything. Pastor G called me and said, hey, do you want to shave someone's head? I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And I got the perfect place to put it in the most boring part of my sermon. Look at this. He is giving himself away for you. Give him a hand. He's giving a piece of himself away so that you guys have a memorable time. God wants us to be a city in a city. In this scripture, Isaiah 26, 1, it says this. We have, go to that next slide. It says, we have a city. This wonderful God city, Isaiah is saying this. Isaiah is saying, there is already a city here. There's already a city lying inside of you. It's already there. All we got to do is activate it. All we got to do is reach out and touch somebody. All we got to do is put, get someone on the phone. I know you don't have any phones and you can't Facebook for $10 a minute. I will let you Facebook in private. And I got a really big iPad. It's not like on a phone. You could type really fast and maybe invite somebody to Friday night service. I don't know. But check this out. It's already here. It's already there. Let me tell you something. You are God's plan A. You are God's plan A. There is no plan B. You're it. Out of everything God could have done, out of everything God could have said, out of everything God could have orchestrated, he said, you are my plan A. There is no plan B. You're it. If you fail, this is all I got. You're my plan A. I find that so amazing that somebody thinks of me as their only option. God is saying, you're my only option. If your family's going to get saved, you're my only option. If your friends are ever going to come to know my love, you are the only option. If you are ever going to see the greatness that I have for you, you are the only option. There's nothing else out there. There is no plan B. Listen to this. In the community of Jesus, races and classes united. They all come together in harmony. In the city of God, money, power, fame, poor and needy are all used to honor God. What are you doing in your city that's honoring God? What are you doing in your city that's bringing praise to God? What are you doing in your city that's lifting the name of God? I heard this sociologist, I saw him in, I saw him speak. 
And he said this quote, and it stayed with me for years. Oh my God. She's going, and she's like moving super quick. To be fair, is there a way we can move this off to the side of the stage? He's just wicked distracting now. He, he was only, he was good for a season. Amen. He was good for a season. <laughs> Let's move him off stage real quick. You could leave the hair. That's great. Listen to this. He'll come out a brand new person, guys. I promise you. This sociologist said this. I want you to pay attention. This is powerful. He talks about how Christianity became a success. Check this out. He said Christianity didn't become a success because it grew in numbers. He says this is why Christianity was a success. Because Christianity was the first religion that was brought into the cities. All the other religions had these monasteries. All other religions talked with their people outside of, 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 of cities and all this. Christianity was brought into the cities. And he says this, to cities filled with homeless, to cities filled with the homeless, Christianity offered charity as well as a place of real hope. To cities filled with strangers, Christianity offered a place of immediate attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity offered a new and expanded sense of family. To cities filled with social ugliness, Christianity offered a place of peace. The fact that Christianity met the needs of the everyday individual was the reason for its rapid success. The reason why Christianity exploded was because they actually went out and met the needs of the people in the cities. They went directly to the cities. Look at this scripture. This is amazing. Someone just Facebooked me. Listen to this. This, this scripture just blew my mind. Uh, no, it didn't because it's not in here. Oh, yeah. Go to that Acts. Acts 8, 4 through 5. Check this out. Saul... The, 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 the bad guy Saul, he's killing all these Christians. They just killed Stephen. Stephen was a waiter. He was tending to orphans and widows. He was a waiter. And then one day, something just lit a fire inside of him. And he just began to preach. And that message took his life. He was serving orphans and widows. He was a waiter. And then something just happened, an explosion inside of him. And he preached a message that took his life. And Saul is going around killing all these Christians. And Acts 8, 4 says this, forced to leave home base. Let me tell you something. God wants to get you out of your home base. You know why? You know why God wants to get us out of home base? My wife, she loves Oregon. She's like... It's so gorgeous here. I'm like, it's so country. It's so gorgeous. It's so country. She's like, I know you couldn't survive here. I was like, no way I could survive. My luck, God's going to call me to the country. Watch. He's going to take me out of the city and make me build a city. Because I hate the country. I lived in the country. I lived in Madera Ranchos. 
It's disgusting. Ask my wife. It's the most horrible place on the planet. But we, we go to these places and we say, oh, this is beautiful. We go to the coast for beauty. We're going to be going to the coast on Friday, right? And I guarantee some of you guys are going to be like, wow, this is beautiful. Driving the country, it's beautiful. You know where the beauty of God is? It's in people. That's the beauty of God. The problem is, is what is your definition of beautiful? God wants to get you out of home base because home base is country. Home base is the ocean. Home base is what we think is beautiful. God wants to get you out of home base and into the city to see the true beauty of God. So it says this, forced to leave home base. The Christians all, look at this. It doesn't say that some Christians, it says all the Christians became what? Missionaries sent on a mission. They were forced to leave their homes and all the Christians become missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message of Jesus. Going down to us, look at this. This is the first revival that broke out in the city. Going down to a Samaritan city outside of Jerusalem, outside of religion, outside of procedure, outside of rituals. Going down to a Samaritan city, Philip proclaimed the message of the Messiah. Look at this. When the people heard what he had to say and saw the miracles, the clear signs of God's actions, they hung on every word. Folks, get into your cities. Talk about the love that Jesus Christ has for you and they will hang on every single word. Yeah, they may not like what you have to say, but they'll stay and listen. I get in debates all the time, and what's funny is nobody walks away. Nobody walks away. They want to stay, and they want to debate. And it's just more of an opportunity to tell them how much God loves them. I have yet to have a person say, you know what, I'm done with this, adios. I either leave people praying for them, or I leave people saying, sir, you got me thinking. You got me thinking. I was flying home from Chicago. My plane was laid over. I want the worship team to come up here. I was flying home from Chicago and I was ministering at a, at a conference out there. And on my, on my flight, on the delay, I, I got talking with an atheist, professed atheist. He didn't know I was a pastor yet. We just started chit-chatting or uh, chit-chatting and we started talking about religion and all this and all that. And it was amazing because we got on the plane and we, we got our seats together and we just continued talking. And then I asked him what he did. And he said that he owned a string of motels in San Jose. Not motels, I'm sorry, apartment complexes in, um, in San Jose. And he asked me what I did. And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor preacher all of a sudden it just isn't it amazing that you're like a Christian and no one knows and then you, they're like you're like the coolest person on the planet but the instant you're like I'm a Christian then it's like 
you know, they don't want to talk to you? I mean, you were just talking about, you know, ACDC and Metallica and just having a great time, a great conversation. And they're like, wow, this guy knows a lot about music and things like that. And all of a sudden, it's just like, you know, they don't want to talk to you anymore when they find out you're a Christian. And he says, you know, I, I, he goes, I, 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 he goes, you're really sneaky, sir. And I, I go, well, how am I sneaky? He goes, because, you know, you should have just came out and said that. And I was like, you're, you're the one that struck up the conversation. I, I, I didn't start this. You started it. You know, why do I have to come forward to you? You know, and tell you, like, before we start this conversation, just want to let you know I'm a pastor. That could come with a disclaimer. You know, maybe I should wear a T-shirt, you know. We were on the flight. And he was telling me that, you know, he doesn't believe that there's a right and there's a wrong. That everybody has the freedom to make their own right and wrong. And I go, everybody should have that freedom. He goes, yeah, everybody should have that freedom to make up whatever they think is right and whatever they think is wrong without the threat of consequence. I was like, wow, I don't know what to say to that, dude. I, I go, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm at a loss. I was like, I, I go, I, I just, I don't believe that. Right before the flight began, he gets a phone call. And I just hear him on the phone saying, uh-huh, okay, how long has it been? Six months? All right, kick him out. Call the sheriff, have him removed. And he hangs up. I just go, can I ask you a question? He's like, yeah. I go, you just told me that everyone should have the right to make their own right and wrong without the threat of consequence. He was like, yeah. I go, well, you just kicked a family out of their apartment complex because they felt it was right not to pay their bill. You just kicked them out. They felt it was okay for them not to pay their bill. They shouldn't be under consequence. And I go, this is what I'm talking about. Instantly, he told me, I have never doubted what I believed until today. I've never doubted what I've believed until today. I didn't lead him to the Lord that day. I just left him with that and put my, my, my iPod on and we took off. I said goodbye to him when he left and I, I hope that he one day finds Jesus. God is calling us to be a city in a city. Listen to me. Don't focus on building a great church, but focus on building a great city. Building a great city within your family, within your friends, within your own city. Building a city. Putting your heart into it. You should be going to your pastor and directing him to the needs in your personal city. Out of my 10 years of being a youth pastor, only one time have I ever had anyone come to me and say, Pastor, we need help over here. Can you come and help us? One time out of 10 years. One time. Your pastors from this event on should be flooded they should, they should be able to say, we don't have enough people to do all this. And I'm sorry because I'm about to just pour a whole bunch of work on them. 
But you guys need to get into your personal cities and find the needs. I need a pastor to come to my school and start a club. I need a pastor to come to my school and minister to kids. I don't know what the law is here in California, but in California, all, all, all parents have to do is put my name on that emergency card and I can walk in and out of that school anytime I want. Why? Because I'm on that kid's emergency card. Check it. I can walk in and out all I want. Minister to their friends. That's how we got Christian clubs started. You got to be running to your pastors. I got a need in my personal city that needs help. What can we do? How can I help? How can I make a difference? Where, what are you doing in your city? Are you just all about us? All about me? Are you just sucking your city dry? Saying this is all about me. I'm here for me to prosper. I'm here for me to be blessed. Are you giving yourself away for your city?